Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And the Rambling Runner Podcast is presented by Mercury Mile. Mercury Mile is fusing fashion and function for runners of all abilities, and it takes just three easy steps. Go to mercurymile.com. Enter your profile, have your sizes, your preferences, and they will shoot you out a box of curated goodies, and you're going to love what you get, and this is the best part. You'll keep what you love, you send back what you don't, and you're charged for what you keep, and the prices are fantastic. This is not a subscription box service. You get a box when you order one, and if you use code RAMBLINGRUNNER10 at checkout, you'll save $10 on the $20 stylus fee. You're going to love it. It's the best stuff that I own, and it's the wintertime, man. You're going to want new gear, and it's January. you got all these new 2019 goals. Have some new gear with it, too. So this episode is with Julie Rembold. Julie is like the epitome of what people look at to say, all right, I want to make a shift in my life, and I want to do it in the new year, and I don't know what I'm capable of, but I know I want to do something amazing, and that's exactly what Julie did in 2018. 2017 was not the kind of buildup she wanted. The the year went sideways right from the get. And you'll hear all about it in this episode. 2017 was wild. Her husband got cancer. She has five kids, all young. You can just imagine how that would go. And we dive into that as kind of a prelude to what happened in 2018 which was nothing short of remarkable running and the blooming of an athletic talent that um, leads me to believe that this is just the start of Julie's athletic success journey because there's so much talent there and will and drive and perseverance that it's just hard to imagine that um, it's, it's not difficult to imagine, I should say huge goals falling uh, this year and next year and the year after and the year after that. Uh, This woman has uh, not only is she very talented and just so strong-willed, but it's uh, it's just really, you know, she's also a very good storyteller, which makes it great for this podcast. So enough from me. You don't want to hear about me. You want to hear about her. And let's hear her tell it as this is my interview with Julie Rembold. Hello, Julie, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me on your show. My pleasure. So I'm really excited to talk to you. January is the month where I'm trying to get as many people on, like yourself, who just killed it in 2018, almost in 2011, like going back in time, (laughs) 2018, um, so we can kind of get that momentum going for the new year. So I really appreciate you coming on, and I'm excited to talk to you about what was a, a crazy an eventful year in your life. That's for sure. Yeah, it for sure was. Thank you. It was a great year. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I guess first things first, I'm just amazed that you have time to do this. You're the mother of five, which yep. for me, I feel like, you know, if two, one, if one kid plus one kid equals like three in terms of time allotment as a parent, I don't even know what having five kids would mean. So the fact that you even have time to do this, I really appreciate it because it just sounds like it would be madness constantly. 
Yeah, well, my theory always became that one less is always easier than how many you have, right? So you just keep adding them in. <laughs> yeah, so at some point... time for one more. Yeah, do you reach a certain number where they just start to parent themselves? Like, does the oldest just, like, they, take the reins? Yes, and actually, my oldest was the perfect age to finally get to have that. So um, she was, I guess, seven and a half when my youngest was born, and so, you know, became about, turned eight when he was about six months. And that was like a golden age. She was like actually able to be very helpful. Um, so she does so much. She feeds them when I go run sometimes. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> this summer sometimes she would be like, okay, mom, I know you got to go run. I know it's going to get dark. You go run. I'll feed all the kids dinner. And I'm like, really? <laughs> wow. Sounds great. <laughs> so does she cook? Yeah. I mean, like when I'm gone, I wouldn't let her, you know, use the stove or anything like that, but she, um, she can cook. Um, but she'll, you know, she'll make something that doesn't involve, you know, using the stove. Um, and I'm like, well, make sure it's healthy. And she's like, don't worry. I know. (laughs) Um, and so it's great. Or sometimes I'll just get everything out and have it all ready to go. And then she'll just feed them all while I'm gone. Um, so yeah, at some point they do become really helpful. Well, I'll tell you what you need to, you know, need to kick texas to the curb move up here and she can just start watching my kids because that's not (laughs) yeah she's pretty she's pretty helpful so where do you all live in 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 texas we live um northeast of dallas so it's a town called lucas and it's um it's it's a little east um and so it's kind of like a farming area and so all the houses are you know have to be spread out by like an acre and we have chickens and pigs and cows and donkeys and cats. Whoa, so you got <laughs> quite the brood to take care of, um, both inside the house and outside the house. Yes. So how, how far outside of Dallas is Lucas? Um, it's about forty-five. It's about about forty-five minutes, okay. unless there's really bad traffic. Yeah. Got it. So my uh, brother-in-law, his wife, and their kids live in uh, Rockwall, Texas. Oh yeah, yeah. Which is, so I think, basically about... due east. About 25 minutes from Dallas. It is. So it's, so yeah. So to go there, I would just stay on the east side and it would be about 30, 35 minutes. Got it. South, straight south. Oh, okay. I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's a wonderful area. And I'll tell you what, we've had a bunch of people from, from the Dallas running community on the show, in fact, and it seems like, obviously it's, it's a big area. It's pretty spread out. You're not like in downtown Dallas or anything, but it does seem like there's a pretty strong running community down there if you're willing to get involved in it. Yeah, there is. There's a lot of people that, um, there is a lot of runners in this area for sure. Yeah. And then also like, depending on where you are, there's a lot of good running, running places and whether it's, you know, those suburban communities where it's like, I love how down there it's so much different than up here in the Northeast where like a lot of the neighborhoods have been here for a long time where you get these newer neighborhoods down in like in your area, which is so unique where it's like this neighborhood will say how like 200 houses get built, but they have such a unique like traffic pattern where you could just like stay in that neighborhood for like a four mile run. And like yeah. never hit a main road. And it's just like snaking all over the place. It's great. And I will have to drive. I do drive to do that with some of my, most of my running, I stay out here. And so it's just country roads, um, but um, which is, has its own appeal for sure. Um, but um, I will sometimes drive to the neighborhoods um, for runs that just to, cause it is nice just to snake around and see all the houses and all of that. Yeah. And then like a school will come out of nowhere. It's like yeah. these neighborhoods are so funny because they all have like a neighborhood school in them. And you're like, 
you know, around here, it's like you see, like, you know, so usually the schools are a little bigger. You can kind of see them from a mile away. And it's like all of a sudden they'll turn this corner. You're like, oh, hey, there's a, yeah. there's a middle school right here. I had no idea. Yeah, they tuck them perfectly in the neighborhoods. It's really convenient when you live in a neighborhood like that to have that school tucked right in there. It's, it's well planned. Oh, you're right. Because it, it is really nice. You have the kids just can walk there. And it's just, yeah, anyway. This is not the reason I set this podcast up, but it's kind of funny how <laughs> it works out that way. So, yeah, going back into what, why we, you know, originally had you on the show. So, two, two, so twenty, uh, what about two thousand eighteen was a crazy year for you. You had unbelievable highs from a running perspective, for sure. But even going back farther. Um, I'd love to talk just about your husband, Dan, and what, you know, what, what was going on with him that kind of was leading into the year, because obviously that kind of sets the stage for the rest of it, if you wouldn't mind going, going yeah. into that. No, yeah. So, um, yeah, and it really kind of all ties together a little bit, um, because, um, you know, I had a friend who was like, hey, you should really run a marathon. And I'm like, run 26 miles? Who would ever want to do that? Um, but I signed up for the Houston Marathon just because... Um, I'm kind of impulsive like that. And um, so I was training for my first marathon, um, which I, I thought I was training for it. <laughs> I went back and calculated my my uh, average miles per week. I think I started in September of 2016 uh, training for that. And when I went back and looked, I ran about 19 miles a week for the, for the Houston Marathon. So I obviously didn't know what that I was That sounds doing. like my kind of training plan right there, Julie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I had a couple weeks in the 20s, but it would be like, five miles on Tuesday and 16 on Saturday. And that was my week. Um, so I had no idea what I was doing, but um, I was training for the marathon. And then um, it was going to be January 15th of 2017 was, was the Houston. Um, and then that um, year, right after Christmas um, or right after new year, actually January 2nd, my husband got a fever. And so, um, you know, we were trying to get him better. And so he can come to the marathon and he, you know, the fever just kept sticking and sticking and he was going to the doctor and the urgent care and they couldn't find anything wrong with him. Um, and then finally it was Friday before the marathon, um, Friday the 13th actually. <laughs> and, um, we, uh, I was like, he was like, you should go, I'll stay here. And I was like, no, I'm not gonna, you know, go to Houston to a marathon when you're this sick. Um, and I was like, let's just go to the emergency room. You know, if they say it's just a virus, then, then sure. We'll come home. You stay here. I'll go to the marathon. And, uh, if I get back and it's, you know, something, or if we go into something worse then you know, of course I won't go. And so we went to the emergency room on Friday and that's when we found out, um, about three in the morning or something, the ER doctor came in and, and she was like, you have cancer. And so, you know, of course that was a big shock. Um, and then Saturday morning, um, we were told, um, that it was probably leukemia. And so, yeah. So in that moment, um, you know, the doctor was like, we're going to fast track you on an ambulance straight to, you know, medical city Dallas. And, uh, so you can see the oncologist that takes care of, you know, blood cancer patients right away. So, so yeah, what, so that so, was the day before the marathon. <laughs> oh my goodness, that is wild! And the fact that happened happened on Friday the thirteenth is just eerie. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. obviously, not not that this story needs any more context to make it eerie, but that is that is kind of certainly a unique thing, and certainly not that you'd ever forget it happening. But you know, obviously, that date's going to stick with you for a long time. For sure, um, for sure. So, I guess first things first. It sounds like 
you know, sometimes when people get news like this, it's not wholly unexpected. It's obviously always shocking, but not necessarily mm-hmm. unexpected. It sounds like for you, that was exactly the case. Oh, it was. I mean, he was riding 100 mile bike rides that fall. He felt great. Wow. Um, didn't feel sick at all until January 2nd. And actually, later we had asked the doctor, the oncologist, um, uh, we said, you know, he was like, how, you know, how much longer would I have had if I hadn't gone to the ER that day? And he said, in three days, your white blood count would have been so high that so many organs would have been shutting down that he didn't think he could have brought him back. So to think that in two and a half weeks, you can go from feeling perfectly healthy to um, being, you know, it's too late. Um, it's just crazy. Um, yeah. Yeah, especially for that diagnosis, right? When you hear cancer, you don't think necessarily like rapid, like something yeah. happened that quickly. You know, you think more of like, you know, not to make light of the situation, but you think like some like monsters inside me type stuff, right? like things yeah, happen so quick. Yeah, usually it's a longer, yeah. So, but this is a super advanced form of leukemia that just um, comes on. And I guess since it's in your blood, it just, you know, it just kind of takes over your body. Um, so, right. yeah. So then, um, yeah. So then when that happened, um, you know, my husband's terribly sick, but like the only things that he finds time to say or the energy to say was that he wanted me to go to Houston. Um, and of course I'm like, that's the craziest thing. And like, who would go run a marathon? <laughs> when their husband's this sick um so you know i was kind of caught between i felt like i was caught between like a rock and a hard place like here this is like the one request that he has is for me to go to houston but you know if i go then that seems like just such such a terrible thing to do um but that was his wish so i so i went to houston and not exactly the race prep people dream of no Um, so (laughs) what was that so what was that first marathon experience like yeah. So, I mean, not only was I, you know, undertrained and it was terribly hot that day, like red flag warnings everywhere. Um, but, um, you know, as I said, you know, I, I didn't sleep. You know, I was in the emergency room two nights before the night before, um, you know, didn't sleep at all, um, obviously. Um, and then, yeah, so it was interesting. Um, I um, when I was running it, you know, I'm just there to finish, you know, my goal is just to get across the finish line. Um, so I can get back to Texas, you know, back up North. Um, but yeah, I think one of the things I remember is that, um, as I'm running, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a big crier. Um, I find that I, um, only cry when I'm basically helpless <laughs> or useless, you know? So it's like, you know, big time happy things and big time sad things don't, you know, really make me cry. But um, in this case, you know, I was just crying as I was running the whole time. And, um, and so I went saying like, okay, I'm going to go, but I'm going to pray at every single mile marker. And that was kind of my way to like, you know, make it where I was going for him. And so I get to mile two and I'm, you know, praying and I start crying. And I remember this lady ran past me and she turned around and she just looked at me and she like, has that like look of, Oh, you poor thing. You have so far to go, you know, cause I'm at mile two of a marathon and I'm like running and crying. <laughs> and, um, and I just looked back at her and I was thinking, Oh, you have no idea. Like my race starts after I cross the finish line. Um, so that's pretty much the only thing I really remember. Um, it was obviously really hard. Um, and I didn't know anything about nutrition either. So I was pretty much miserable afterwards. Yeah, I can imagine. And then even the drive back, it's just like, as you put it, like your marathon started then. 
So it's not yeah. even that you have that experience of like, hey, I finished and, you know, like you're sore, you're tired, you hurt, but you're content. Like that was obviously not quite what you were feeling. No. And I was so miserable afterwards. I mean, I was thinking all I could think was, I hope I don't need to go to the emergency room. <laughs> I was like, I can't be in the emergency room because my husband's sick. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I was obviously not physically prepared to take on a marathon. Um, so was he able to stay in Dallas for like, so, 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 so the, the course of his, his treatment for leukemia, what did that look like from a timeline perspective and what, you know, it, it's toll that it took on, you know, not, and toll I presents it in negative light. It, it certainly doesn't, I don't mean to put it that way, but obviously, you know, Oh yeah. It's you, 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 you've, yeah. You're, you're, you're co-parenting, you know, five yes. kids. So it's hard, yeah. it's, it's hard to do with two parents. Never mind. Yeah. You know, so these are one, some of the sickest. Yeah. So the, you know, leukemia patients are some of the sickest patients. And, you know, when they said leukemia, I, my first thought was what really is, I mean, I knew it was a cancer, but mm-hmm. I'm like, what is leukemia? So first, so the entire drive to Houston, I'm like Googling like crazy. Um, I actually went with my friend and her husband and so I'm in the back seat, just Googling everything I can. Like, what is leukemia? What does it mean? What, you know, all I, you know, think of is the ads of, you know, kids with leukemia. And so, um, yeah, so they're some of the sickest patients. And so those, they're on the top floor of the hospital and that floor has its own um, air system because they're so sick. I mean, they could, if a tiny cold virus gets in there, they don't have any immune system left and they, they could die from the cold virus. And so they have its own um, cir- uh, circulation system, air system, and um, they uh, don't allow kids. So I think it's under the age of 14 or 16, but all of ours were under that age, are not allowed on that floor at all. And so it was a big challenge that year because every single time um I was you know I was going to go see him daily I mean that was that was that was the only thing I could do to be helpful was to try to get there to see him every day and um but every single time I couldn't bring any of the kids with me so I had to find someone to watch all the kids so in addition to you know homeschooling and taking care of them I'm every single day you know finding people to help take care of the children so I can drive all the way to downtown spend a couple hours with them drive back retrieve the children. And so that's a bit, you know, every day that's a five or six hour chunk of time out of your day. So how long was he in that section of the hospital for? Yeah. So I, I'm trying to remember the exact days, but the first round was the, was one of the longest. So I want to say it was, he was in the hospital for 40 to 45 days straight. I want to say it was like 45 days straight. Um, for that first round. So, you know, he got there on the um, 14th of January and then was in there for 45 days. And then after that, there was multiple rounds of chemo. So he would come home for three weeks and then go in for a week and then he'd be in there for seven days and then he'd be home and then he'd be back. Um, And so there was, you know, every month there was kind of this cycle of he would be in the hospital for a week, come home, be super miserable for a week, a little better, and then he would feel good. And, and we'd go do, you know, we'd go camping and try to have really a lot of fun that week, and then he'd be back in again. Um, and so there was kind of this weird cycle that was going over and over again. And then um, we found out he needed to have a transplant, um, a stem cell transplant. Uh, it, it, they used to do bone marrow transplants, but now they can do it with stem cells, and it makes it easier on the donor. Um, so they can get more donors that way. And so that happened in July of 2017. 
Wow. So that obviously is, you know, takes a toll on everybody. You know, he's finally like, he can spend like a week with his kids where he's like actually excited and, you know, living life. And then it's like back in the hospital a week yep. later and you're sitting there, like you want him to get home. But then like when he comes home, obviously this, whatever schedule you're putting together gets yeah. like, gets, gets, gets completely thrown in the air. What, what was it like for the kids to have this kind of yo-yo relationship with like uh, this all or nothing thing with their dad, who obviously they want to spend time with? Yeah. I mean, and as you hit on, that was one of the challenging parts was that every week was so different. So there is no schedule, you know? And um, yeah, when he come home, that was almost harder than the week he was in the hospital because then I'm taking care of him too. Um, And so, um, yeah, it was interesting. You know, a lot of people asked about that and I feel like I really tried to, I mean, I was just trying to survive each day, but in the midst of that, I'm also trying to keep things as normal as possible for the kids, you know? So um, I mean, obviously things aren't going to be normal. They're, they're going to friends' houses to do homework because I need to go to the hospital. Um, but, you know, but I really try to keep things, you know, I, I we, we kind of just keep going through life, you know? And I think that, you know, I wasn't having moments of panic and, you know, uh, so they kind of just accepted it and, and went with it. Um, it really, it, they really handled it really, really well. And you mentioned earlier how, if you know, you, Dan had asked his doctors if he hadn't come in when he did, how much longer did he have? What sort of prognosis were you getting as you went along those first five or six months in terms of not just only like week to week, how's, how's the white blood cell count doing and how's his body reacting to the medicine and the chemotherapy, but just overall, like, what is the, the over, like the long-term prognosis? Yeah. Um, so it, it's kind of different than the others because there's not like a stage. You're not like, okay, you're in stage, you know, one or two. Um, so they, um, you know, they got his blood, white blood uh, cell count. And then they um, pretty quickly, um, that first round knocked out the leukemia. I mean, it, it, it's a super, super extreme chemo. Um, and then they did another bone marrow biopsy. And at that point, the leukemia was gone. So this was like, I mean, this was like February, March, leukemia is gone. Um, but the thing with it is with that version of leukemia, it pretty much always comes back. Um, and so although it was gone in March, and that was another thing that was hard, is you're going through all of this tough stuff and the leukemia is gone. You know, so you're kind of like, well, could we stop? And maybe it'll never come back, you know, but you don't really know. And if it comes back a second time, it's harder to beat the second time around. And so, um, so you're going through all this, but the leukemia is gone. Um, and then that was kind of when he, you know, the doctor, and it's kind of a guessing game for the doctor too. And he's kind of like, you know, this type always comes back generally. So I think he should have a stem cell transplant. Um, now that's kind of when we got our first kind of prognosis. And with that, he was kind of like, okay, if you do a transplant, then I think, I think he said there was a 60% chance that he thought with a transplant that he would be good. Like it would never come back for the rest of his life. Um, there's a 30% chance that it'll come back again still. And there's a 10% chance that the transplant would kill him in the transplant. That's a um, huge percentage. Yeah. For like, I mean, for like that and, third option. It, it, oh, for the, for the, the 10%. Yeah. Like, the, like you yeah. like hand me a gun and you're like, Hey, there's 10 <laughs> chambers and there's a bullet there's in one of them. I'd be like, take the gun back, man. I don't want it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was tough. But in the end of the day, you know, I, I think we both separately came to the same conclusion. We're like, you know what, none of us are promised tomorrow. I mean, I could I'm driving to the hospital every day, I could get in a car wreck, you know, 
And, and so, yeah, it's different than thinking about, you know, a 10% chance, but, but we kind of both just kept looking at the 60%, you know, and, you know, you're really sick and you have 60 and you have 30 and you have 10 and you're like, you know what, I think we have to go with the 60%. You talked about how the kids, how the kids went through it and how they were able to handle it. Obviously there was a lot of pressure on you during all of this. So how was, how did you approach, you know, your mindset, not only in terms of your own inner monologue, but how you wanted to present yourself to others during this time period, not by others, I mean your husband and your kids. Um, can you repeat that? So when you were going through all of this, how did you like think about like from a mindset perspective, how you wanted to present yourself to your kids and your husband to kind of make sure that they were able to kind of get through this as well as possible, knowing that obviously you were going through a lot at that time and you couldn't necessarily just like be an open book with your emotions. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, I, um, I decided early on, I was like, you know what, I just, you know, to a degree, I needed to just be honest with the kids. And so, I mean, I remember I sat them down in a circle, um, that first week and I was like, okay, you know, I need to, daddy's obviously not been here for a while, you know, a few days. And so I need to tell you what's going on. And so I just very honestly told them, you know, here's what's going on and things are going to be different. Um, you know, but we're all going to be here for each other. Um, and so I try to be very honest with them. Um, but also, um, you know, as I said before, I guess maybe it, it helps. I'm kind of a, you know, okay, we have a problem. Let's just tackle it the best we can. And so, um, I, you know, I kind of just every day tried to do as much as I could, you know, for them, for Dan, um, you know, managing the situation through all this. Also, we were building a house. <laughs> and, so, um, and so there was just so many pieces to the puzzle. Um, and um, yeah, you know, a lot of people ask me that. And I think I just every day did did what I could and did what I thought was the best that I could do that day for everybody. Yeah. And so he's so he was obviously out of commission for a long time. Was there financial pressure there at all or was things OK from a from a from a job standpoint? That was probably the, um, the, the biggest thing that helped us. I mean, there were so many struggles, um, that year, but fortunately, um, uh, my husband's a big saver and, um, cause he was out of work for 11 months. And so, um, and then also our insurance was really good and his company was phenomenal. I think that was one of our biggest kind of scares early on that then kind of relieved a lot of pressure is, you know, I mean, he's going to be out for a while. They could have easily, you know, let him go or whatever. Um, but, you know, they were like, don't even worry. Your job's here when you get back. Don't even, you know, you don't need to worry about anything. And so... Let's um, give them a shout out. That's, that's, that's really nice of them. Let's give them a shout out. Yeah. To, at Texas Instruments. So okay. they were phenomenal. I mean, they were, you know, and they showed up, his entire team got together within a week showed up with the largest stack of handwritten cards from like every single person in the team. And, um, almost, I mean, so many people came to see him from the company. So they were just wonderful. Um, yeah. So from a financial standpoint, um, there was not a lot of, con- I mean, at first, you know, there was kind of like, Oh no, how, what, what's going to happen here. But I think after a few weeks that kind of went away and that was nice because I know that is a, um, struggle for a lot of people going through this. So that was one thing we were not super concerned about. Okay. So after July, after the transplant, how did things start to look after that? 
Yeah. So after the transplant, then um, there was a lot of doctor's appointments. He was pretty sick, but there was no more cycles of going in for chemo. And so that was a relief. And so now it was just about like, okay, now we just got to rest and recover and get better and try to figure out what does life look like now, <laughs> you know? And, and the interesting thing is, is the, the, some of the benefits of the Houston marathon and why, you know, at the end I was like, okay, that was the right choice. You know, when my husband wanted me to go, I was like, this is insane. But in the end I was like, that's probably the best thing I could have done for the entire year of 2017 was going and running that marathon because in it, I felt like I was like, okay, I need to come home. I have to quit everything. You know, I was like room mom. I was like mom's group church leader. Like I was doing all these things. And I was like, I need to come home and I have to quit all of them. Like I can't do any of them. And, um, and, and then also I think the other thing I learned from the marathon was I also need to get help. I'm kind of like super independent. I can handle, you know, it all. And so I also was like, I, if anybody wants to help me with anything, like, sure, please do it. You know, like I just need to accept help for anything. Um, and so then when we were kind of resetting after, after the transplant, you know, it was kind of like, okay, now, you know, now what does life look like? It was kind of almost like starting over. Um, yeah, certainly. I mean, it was, I'm sure it was starting over for him. Starting, you know, the kids are now thrust into a more stable environment. Thankfully got, yeah. got the new house, got the you know, dad's back, which is great. Um, you know, he's obviously not fully up to speed yet, but at least you kind of get that stability of like, all right, you know, at least I know what next month is going to hold. Uh, yes. From a kid's perspective, they're probably looking at yeah. you. are probably a little bit more cautious, but. Um, yeah. That... And, and, you know, he was, a, he was at a lot of risk at that point for germs. Um, because... are, there, are there, are there germ issues with, with a household with five kids? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and for him. So when you get a stem cell transplant, so what I didn't realize is when you get this, you know, when you're doing that, what you're basically getting is a new immune system. And so he had the immune system of a newborn baby. And so you have to get all your vaccinations again. Um, and so, yeah, so, you, so I, we have five kids who are going to school and bringing germs home. And he has the immune system of a newborn baby and also is very sick, you know. And so, um, yeah, so there was a bit. So that was, you know, that was some challenge. And so it was really just like trying to keep him away from any germs. Um, and then just, you know, as he builds and gets stronger and, and better. Um, so he came home probably, when did he come home in August, I think from the transplant? Um, cause he was in there for another good 30, 45 days, um, at that point too, for the, in the hospital. Um, and then he came home and then, um, he went back to work in November. All right. So. I really wanted to get into that. And we spent a lot of time talking about it because I think yeah. not only is it, is it, is it, you know, a harrowing story It's great to hear that everything went well for Dan and, and you and your family and all of that, but it is quite the introduction or forward to like your 2018. Cause from a running perspective, you go out in 2018 and you kill it. However, it's not as if 2017 was this like extended, <laughs> you know, it wasn't a building. Yeah. Here. You were, you weren't, you know, building, <laughs> you know, building fitness foundation all of 2017 to get you ready. So, no way. So I, there's no like easy um, transition from like a life or death issue to, Hey, now let's talk about running. But with that being said, what, what kind of foundation did you have in 2017? If any going into 2018, yeah. So, I mean, I, running, running for me was like, in 2017 was like, okay, I think I can spare 20 minutes to go out and run three or four miles because like, I just need, 
I just need to get away. I mean, you know, it's just, it, it was, you know, I need to go run or do something. Um, and so I, I think I probably ran, I mean, some weeks, obviously I didn't run at all at the most, I would maybe run once or twice a week for like three miles. And so I did actually go back and average my fall just because I was curious. So before that was probably even less, but for the fall, actually, you know what? I, I think I averaged the whole year because I ran 433 miles. And so I ran about an average of like eight miles a week for the whole year. Right. With probably a lot of that being backloaded. Yeah. Oh, um, well, actually, a lot of it was because January was a big month. Oh, because that's a of good the marathon. Point. So January's big month. I had the marathon. And actually, when I came back from that, I think I had bigger hope. I'm always an optimist. So in my mind, I was like, okay, this is a bad situation. But you know, he's going to have a little bit of chemo. He's going to be better. He'll be back to work by February, March. I'll be running, you know? And so I would actually go see him at the beginning and there's beautiful trails right there by the hospital. And he was like, you should go run. And so I'd come see him and I'd go run. And so I actually think I ran more early on until the situation became more obvious that this is going to be a longer, bigger thing. Okay. Um, so it's probably more front loaded. <laughs> so like, so the, those middle seven or eight months was like almost a zero. And then you're yeah. able to pick it back up around Thanksgiving, Christmas time. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Okay. So this time of year, last year, right? So right, we're recording this on January 4th. Yep. So it's January 4th, 2018. Oh, shoot, let's just make it, let's make it January 13th, right? It's the anniversary, yeah, yeah. Of, yep, anniversary his, of, of his China. diagnosis, right? He's, he, at that point, you know, he's back to work for a couple months. He's feeling better. What were you thinking about for the year ahead? Yeah. So, you know, I was like, all right. So I really, um, my plan before Houston is I was like, okay, I'm going to run a marathon. This is awesome. I was like, 2018, I was like, you know, my kids are getting older. I really want to focus on running. Right. Um, I'm sorry, 2017. And then that's when he got sick. Um, and so coming into then January, 2018, it was kind of like, okay, well that year it didn't happen. <laughs> and, but I'm like, okay, he's back at work. Um, so yeah, 2018, let's just make 2018 the year since 2017 was it. And so I had signed up for Oklahoma City Marathon and um, Chicago also. So I had two marathons in the calendar. Um, and I was just like, you know what, I, I'm just going to make running a priority. I'm just going to start running. And that's kind of where it started, I guess. So when was the Oklahoma City Marathon? At the end of April. Okay, so you had roughly about a four month buildup or so yeah. for that. Um, yep. So you were coming in with, you know, fitness level one out of 10, zero out of 10. Yeah, zero. Um, so, <laughs> so, you know, I guess, first of all, did you have a lot of running experience pre 2017? Like, did you have like, were your muscles prepared, you know, in terms of like, they've done this sort of thing before, or were you like, kind of like a novice all the way around? No. Um, so yeah, I never ran in high school, never ran in college. Um, I loved sports. I, I played every sport I could get my hand on in high school. I just never did running. <laughs> and so um, I played softball and basketball. Um, and uh, so, and then I started running actually for the first time um, after my second was born. Um, and so it'd been like 2007. Um, and, you know, really enjoyed it. But then, you know, I, I was pregnant and nursing and having kids, you know, back to back. Because uh, we had all five of them in like seven and a half years. And so um, so I really didn't. And, you know, I thought that I was running a lot. Um, but the most I'd ever run before this year, before 2018, was like 25 miles in a week. Okay. I thought that was a lot. 
so when you started the ramp up for Oklahoma City, were you did you start getting more information about the best way to train for a marathon, or how did you approach that buildup? Yeah, so I my goal, um, so we 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 printed off a plan. We did the Nike plan, me and my friend Stacy, and um, and if you added back the weeks, then the first day of the plan was going to start on Christmas Day. And we were like, Christmas Day, oh, that's okay. We're going to be serious about this. So we're going to run on Christmas Day. And so this would have been, yeah, right before, um, it would have been like, what, Christmas of 2017? Um, and so we were going to start our training plan. Um, and my goal was to run five days a week. I was like, if I can run five, if I can find time to run five days a week, that's going to be really hard. But if I can find time to run five days a week, then that'll be really great. And so that's kind of, I was going to follow some plan and try to run five days a week was kind of my, my plan. And then how did that go? Because I already know the end of the story. And like, <laughs> the more that you tell this story, I'm like, I don't understand how the end happens. So, <laughs> so, so walk me through this buildup because I, as you're telling me this story, I'm like, obviously like this woman, there's no way she's going to like even break four hours and 30, <laughs> right? Like she doesn't run. And she's going to run yeah. a marathon. So, like, so what, yeah, so what, so what, what once you start doing it, what my, did the training friend, look like? Yeah, so my friend was making fun of me because I was going to run five days a week, and that was my goal. But every week would start, and I wouldn't run on Monday, and I wouldn't run on Tuesday. And then all of a sudden, it was Wednesday, and I'm like, I have to run every single day to run five days a week. Like, this is impossible. It's not going to happen. And so I would run on Wednesday. Um, and so if you look at my December training, it is kind of funny because I never ran on Monday or Tuesday. Um, I saved them all for the end of the week <laughs> and then it's like I had to make up for lost time. And so it was just, it was just, I thought it was really hard to find the time to run five days a week. Um, at the time, um, it just seemed almost impossible. And so, yeah, that's kind of where it started. All right. So as you're moving through, you know, your, your training plan, your, your abbreviated <laughs> training plan that you're not sticking to, um, and April's coming closer and closer. Um, what did you start thinking about in terms of race, race goal or potential race plan? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, that's the thing is I just, I really had no clue what I was doing in the end. You know, um, I, I was clueless. I mean, I thought, I thought under 10 miles a week was not that much. I thought 20 miles a week was a lot. And I thought 30 miles a week was just kind of insanely a lot. Um, so I just, I mean, I was really clueless. And I, my goal was, I was like, okay, I think if I really can train, I think I can qualify for Boston. So that was kind of my thoughts going into Oklahoma City. Um, you know, I'd like to qualify for Boston. It just, I felt like I needed a goal. And that seemed like the most um, obvious goal to pick. And um, so that's kind of what I was, that's what I was training for. Got it. Um... I really just needed a goal. Though. Yeah, I, I was just saying, I just it, seems, to it run. seems like it's such an arbitrary thing to pick because like, you weren't doing any of the training that would align with that goal. <laughs> but I mean, it's a great goal to have, certainly. All right, so, so, race, so race day happens. So, do, yeah. so what were you thinking about race morning and how did the, how did like say the first half of that marathon go from an effort and pace perspective? Oh yeah. No. So this changed way before. Okay. Let me, let me back okay. up then. I see where you're getting at. So, um, yeah. So then, and the other thing, the other piece of the puzzle was that, um, so I running those eight miles a week ran the Dallas half marathon in December of 2017. And I went out there and I, I was like, I, I haven't trained. I haven't done anything. I mean, if you look at my couple of weeks, I don't think I ran the two weeks before it. And I went out there and I was just like, I'm just going to line up in the back of the corral. I'm just going to jog this 13 miles. 
and then I'll start training, you know, after the new year. And, um, of course I cross the finish line and I just start running and I ended up running that in 130 or an hour and 34 minutes. Whoa. And yeah, <laughs> hour, I think it was an hour 34 or 40 and, um, I was dying at the end, but, um, but I was able to finish really well. And, you know, when I looked at it, I can't remember if this is before athletes were added, but I think I came in like 17th. And I remember looking at that thinking, wow, I came in 17th. And like, I mean, it's, that wasn't huge, but it's pretty big, you know, marathon, half marathon. And then, um, my, that, that was my friend. She was like, you know, you really should get a coach. Like if you actually got a coach and trained, like you could, you could do pretty well. And, um, and so that kind of was, I think what got me started thinking like, like maybe I should take this running thing a little more seriously. Um, but I kind of felt like I can't, you know, I'm, I'm running eight miles a week. Like nobody's going to take me seriously. Like I, I mean, I'm going to call a coach and be like, hey, yeah, you should, you know, that'd be great. I should you're get a like, coach. In retrospect, you're like the coach's dream. You're like, I ran a 134 with no training. They'd be like, sign me up, dude. This sounds great. <laughs> well, in my mind, I'm thinking someone's going to be like, how am I going to take you seriously when you, like, can't even find time to run? Um, and so, um, so, yeah, that's kind of what got me thinking. And then it was January 26th, I guess. Um, so, you know, as I told you, I was kind of like trying to train, trying to run five miles a week, but not finding the time for it. And then I thought, you know what? Maybe if I start doing some research, I like to research. And I thought, okay, I need to really build up. And I was going to run Oklahoma City. And then I was maybe going to get a coach. And um, because then I can have some miles under me. And I felt like, you know, somebody take me a little more seriously. And so... Um, then I, uh, but then I thought, well, maybe doing some research will motivate me to train for Oklahoma City. So like randomly impulsively on a Friday was when I filled out um, the form on both uh, James McCurdy's website and uh, It's a Marathon. And so I fill out their form, but I was just doing research. Like I thought, you know, they'd email me back and I emailed them questions and it would maybe inspire me to, um, you know, spend more time running. And so then James called immediately um, on Friday um, and then I just started working with him right away and then my training changed. So, yeah. So then two weeks later I was running 50 miles a week or 40, <laughs> 40 miles a week. <laughs> and I, I'm living that life right now. So I know exactly what you mean. So, wait, so, so what's the date on that? So January 26th okay. was when I reached out to him and then I, that day started working with him. Um, and so, yeah, so my training changed immensely for Oklahoma city. So at that point, um, yeah, so that week, I think I ran 30 miles that week, and then the next week I ran 40 miles. Got it. And so how did Oklahoma City go for you? So Oklahoma City, I finished in, I think it was 314. Which is a huge number, right? Like you're thinking, yeah. you're thinking, like, hey, can I get a BQ, which was like even in itself a little ridiculous because you hadn't really run in a year. And yeah. then, <laughs> you know, obviously that half marathon – is, is a very eye-opening thing, right? For someone to run 134 on little training obviously yeah. shows that you have, you know, we're not all, ha we don't have all the same genetic gifts, and, but obviously you have, you know, you're a very talented runner. There's no question about that. So there's this kind of, it's in you already. You dropped this 315. What are you thinking after that? Because that's a, that's a really fast marathon and that's a lifetime PR for a lot of people. Did you all of yeah. a sudden start thinking like, okay, what am I capable of here? So actually, um, going into it, um, I, I had some, you know, 
so, so then, you know, James is giving me runs and, and I'm just running them. And I had some pretty good training runs before Oklahoma city where I was like, wow, like I didn't realize I could, you know, do this. And, um, and so then I had a really, really great one about three weeks out. And, um, and at that point, actually my goal was set for Oklahoma city at 301, I think 301 or 302. Really? Um, yeah. So I was actually at 314. I was pretty far off my goal. Um, but, um, so I had this great training run three weeks out and then I had a couple of medical things that happened, <laughs> uh, to me, um, a couple weeks out. And it was kind of interesting because all of a sudden running became really hard. So I had this great training run. And then the last two weeks running was really hard, but I had listened to, um, their podcast about Boston and, you know, I knew nothing about training. I mean, like I said, I thought, only crazy people ran 40 miles a week. So I knew nothing Welcome about Welcome to the training. club, Julie. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Exactly. So I knew nothing about training. I knew nothing about marathons. So I listened to their marathon podcast about Boston, and it was said in there that sometimes you can feel not good during taper. Like, you can just feel really bad. Well, I felt really bad during taper, and running was really hard, but I was like, supposed to be this hard. Um, but I had had... Um, a couple of things that happened that had, it, it turns out that I was low on iron during um, my iron had tanked big time um, right before the Oklahoma city marathon. And, um, but we didn't know this till a couple months afterwards. And so that three fourteen was um, ran on low iron. Wow. Okay. Well, that, that certainly explains it. And that's a tough thing for a lot of women runners, especially iron becomes this huge issue. So how did you, after the marathon, how did you figure that out like the best way to address it long-term? Um, yeah, so it was really easy just with supplements, okay. but it took a couple months. Um, cause you know, I, I, before I did the blood test and found out about that, but, um, you know, because I haven't really done this before, so I couldn't really compare it to anything. Um, but the thing that I think was alarming during Oklahoma city was I'm doing these big training runs and I'm feeling great. And then I got to mile six during the marathon and I was like, man, my legs are really tired. Like they don't seem like they should be this tired at mile six. Um, and then I, you know, but of course I'm like, I don't know, I can't compare it to anything. So just keep running. And, um, so I ended up run walking the last, um, I think six, six miles of that marathon. Wow. So you you kept a With pretty good pace for a long time. <laughs> yeah. So the three fourteen involved a lot of walking at the end. Okay. So that's, that, that's really interesting because it really shows, you know, first of all, just a lot of toughness to get through it because run walking marathon, especially for someone who's aiming for a 301 can be kind of demoralizing in the moment. Like how did, yeah. how did that feel for you to see, you know, that's not at all what you would picture doing in that race? No, I mean, it, yeah. And, and, you know, I think in the moment, so I guess this gets back to your original question about, you know, what did I think next? So in the moment I'm thinking, you know, what was I thinking? Like, was this even a good idea? You know, marathons in general. Um, and then, but the, but as soon as I crossed the finish line, then immediately my mind switched and it was like, okay, something was wrong there. Like something wasn't right. I don't know what it was, but now I need to get back and I need to train harder and do better next time, you know? And so it's like in the moment you're like, this is terrible. But then as soon as I crossed the finish line, I was like, nope, got to do better next time. Yeah. And that's exactly the mindset you talked about earlier when you're like, what's the problem? Solve the problem. Yeah, solve the problem, got to fix it, got to do better. So so your training in Chicago, was it similar to the training 
that you had set up for Oklahoma City or did you continue to get better in your training? Yeah, so um, Chicago Chicago went really well. Um, the only thing that happened with Chicago is I had this really big knot that came up in my calf um, towards the end. Um, and so, so we kind of had to, you know, cut out a few um, quality sessions um, leading up to it. But I think the lead up to Chicago went really well. So what- and so we fixed, we fixed the iron in the middle of the summer. So in the middle of the summer, um, I went on supplements. My iron got better. And so then I was able to kind of build up really well for Chicago. So for running, um, so you end up running, I'll just skip to the end on this one because, because I really want to talk about the training part for you. Cause I'm just so interested in how it works considering where you were a year before that. So you end up running a three Oh one in Chicago. So you kind of yeah. had that fitness in you for almost the entire year because you were planning on running a three Oh one in Oklahoma city as well. So what, so what were your training paces for that kind of marathon time? Like what, what, what would your be like your, your threshold or tempo runs or things like that? Like what kind of workouts were you doing in preparation for Chicago? So most of my, you know, Chicago was all done in high heat and high humidity in Texas. Um, and so, um, so it was a little different because my marathon runs were done at the same pace for the most part as they were for Oklahoma city. Um, but in Oklahoma city, I was running in March and April and then for Chicago, you know, it's August, September in Texas. So it would be, you know, 85 degrees out with a dew point of 73. And I'll be out there doing, you know, a 20 mile long um, marathon run. So I think most of them were around 650 to seven for the marathon pace. Holy cow. Now that is, that must have given you so much confidence to be able to run in that heat at that pace, because that yeah. is, I mean, that is just Oh God. It's just so, it's so hard to run through. I mean, I was there two, a couple summers ago when it was that heat, it was, uh, what was it? It was the heat wave. It went 45 straight days, hundred degrees. Oh yeah. Is that 2017? I, I can't remember which year, but or I do 16. remember that. Yeah. It was like 43 consecutive days in Dallas of hundred degree weather. And it was like, Oh my God, like this is the worst. <laughs> it is hot. <laughs> No, I can't imagine. You, 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 you're, you're running out in farm roads. It's not even like you have like tree cover to like, you know, no. to like to run, run in the shade or whatever. <laughs> yeah, you pretty much just go out and you just kind of sweat to death the whole time. <laughs> no, for sure. So when you got to Chicago, what was the what was the the race plan and projected time um, for that race? Yeah, so the goal was to be under three hour. Um, I mean, I guess like. Two fifty nine, fifty nine, and uh, the race plan was cut into four different ten um, k chunks. So it was just—I can't remember. I think it was starting off about six fifty, and then getting um, just a little faster each ten k. Okay, yeah, it's funny because I was actually talking with a gentleman this morning who ran Chicago and is coached by James as well. Um, Kenny uh, Adamola. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was there as well. He's he's from the United Kingdom, and he had a very similar race plan as you, actually. Yeah. And he was talking about how he screwed it up, like in the first three miles that he like went out. <laughs> he hadn't run a marathon in a long time, tapered. So like he ran by feel because he didn't turn off his GPS watch in Chicago because the GPS okay. gets so funky. Yeah. So he went out and ran his first mile like six nineteen. He was like, oh, no, oh, <laughs> what is going on? He's like, he's like, he's like, I slowed down like seven seconds per mile the second mile, but it felt like I slowed down a minute because I got passed by like 300 people. He goes, I looked down, it was 623. He's like, well, there it goes. There goes the marathon. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So were you, were you able to 
did you have a similar experience in the beginning? Because I know everyone talks about the GPS issues at the beginning of that race because of all the yeah. tall buildings. Oh yeah. The GPS is, yeah, the GPS was not good. Um, and, um, but you know, I have a bad habit of going out too fast on everything. Um, and so, so James was very good about, you know, drilling into me, like, don't go out too fast. Don't go out too fast. And so I think I actually did pretty good about that. The other, um, thing that kept me kind of in line, I feel like was, um, so I was starting in Crowl C, but my finish time was like, you know, up in the front of Crowl A. And so there was like thousands and thousands and thousands of people I was going to have to pass. Um, and so there was just, I think that kind of naturally keeps you from being able to go too fast because you're constantly trying to pass people. Yeah, that's a good trick. And that's one that I learned <laughs> it was two summers ago. So maybe a year and a half ago, I was running a four mile race and I had had this habit just like you of going out too fast. Um, and what I did was actually put myself behind this woman who was pushing a triple stroller. Oh, wow. Nice. And like, she was super fit. I mean, she was faster than me, no doubt about it, but she was pushing a triple stroller and I yeah. wasn't in, was in, in a start that was like an uphill, you know, quarter mile start. And I was like, I'm not passing this woman in the first 400 meters. I'm just not going to do it. And like, for me, it was like this little trick. And like, again, she was super fit. So it's not like as if I was like crawling yeah you know, in, in, in the opening mile, but it was like this one little trick where I was like, okay, like I'm just going to do this. And it was, it was like a way for me to do exactly what you did in that marathon of like, if you yeah. put yourself back there, either it forces, uh, yeah, you. it just forces you to slow down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I've done that in other races too, where I purposefully, I'm like, don't end up too far up. Then you'll just try to bolt out too fast. Yeah. Cause then it's also the competitive streak. Like if you start getting past, it's like, you can have all the intentions of the world of running a certain pace, but like, Man, getting past sucks. Oh, for sure. <laughs> for sure. You're speed up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so this is like so interesting to me because I feel like I'm talking to you like from a running career standpoint, like in like, you know, in like right at the beginning because like, yeah, because you have, you know, so much running potential. You've already like run a 301 marathon in a 134 half on little training from the, from the half marathon perspective. Um so what, so what are the goals moving forward? Right. So like I said before, it's January 4th, 2019. You got a big year yeah. ahead of you. What are you thinking about? I don't know. You know, I, I actually was thinking about that a lot because, you know, I, I heard your guys' podcast and, you know, read Instagram posts and, and I started thinking, I was like, well, you know, I'm kind of a goal person. Like maybe I need to have like, you know, come up with some like real goals for myself. And so I was thinking about it a ton. And then I was like, you know, no, I think my goals are exactly the same as they were last January. You know, last January, I was like, hey, you know, if I actually prioritize this and I really work hard at it, then, you know, it'd be really neat to see how fast I could be. Um, and I think the goals haven't changed at all. Like, I just want to work hard and uh, try to get faster. I love it. Yeah. See, I have to do the same thing. So if I, if I set goals, then it's easy for me to get bogged down or overconfident. Like I, it's hard yeah. for me to stay in that sweet spot if I set like yeah. hard and fast goals. And I think, you know, sometimes you need, you know, you need to have a goal race or a goal time. Um, but I'm loving it. Like I, I love running. I'm loving training. Um, and so I don't think I necessarily, I think just having a goal of just getting as fast as I can is, is good enough. I love it. Okay. So what, what races do you have on the calendar? So yeah, I'm running Boston next. Um, it's the next, I guess, marathon. Um, I need to add in a, um, a half, which I've been trying to figure out 
which one I'm going to do. I think right now I'm leaning towards um, San Antonio Alamo in early March. Um, but right now I think the big one is I'll be running some five K's and some other stuff, but I think the next big race is Boston. All right. I will see you there, Julie. And also I need some advice if you don't mind. Okay. I'm going to be sure. every other year we go to Dallas for Thanksgiving and, okay. and do you do any Thanksgiving day races? Uh, yeah. So, um, I did, I did this time. Um, just a small one, but the downtown Dallas is supposed to be like one of the longest standing turkey trots. Um, and so I think next year I might have to do that one. All right. I'll see you there. I can't wait. Yeah, that'll be a good one. And then we, uh, you know, we have some people who listen to the show from the Dallas Fort Worth area. Maybe we can get a little group going. That That'd be one. great. So you have family here or what brings you to Dallas? Yeah. So that's my, my brother-in-law, his wife, and their two kids live in Rockwall. So, oh, nice. so, okay. so we'll, we fly into Rosefield and then we, then we head out to their house. Well, yeah, let me know. That no, would be did I say great. Rosefield? I mean, Lovefield. I always mix yeah, up Lovefield. the names. Lovefield. Lovefield. Yeah. I knew what you meant. Yeah. That would be great. All right. We'll do it. I'll have a rambling runner race off. That would, that sounds wonderful. All right, let's do it. Julie, thank you so much for coming on the show. I can't wait to see what 2019 has in store for you. I I have a feeling it's going to be some really big stuff. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, Julie, for coming on the show. This was so much fun. And I'm actually going to see Julie in person this coming April at the Boston Marathon. We're going to have another Boston Marathon meetup. Uh, the day before the race last year, it went great. We had a really good turnout despite the weather and all the crazy conditions. We had a lot of people who'd been on the show and some fans of the show as well. A great mix. And I think that this year, if CIM was any indication, this year might be even better. So I'm so excited for that. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you, Mercury Mile, our presenting sponsor. They got the best gear. And you don't even have to go and shop for it. It makes it so easy. MercuryMile.com. Also, big shout out to Megaton Coffee. You can, you can shop both of these brands that I love using code RAMBLINGRUNNER10. Also, because you can just order them from your home. You don't even have to leave your house. You can you know, basically kind of the best, get the best of both worlds. You get the convenience of an Amazon, but shopping a small business. Isn't that what we all are all looking for as well? So check them both out, mercurymile.com and Megaton Coffee. I know you're going to like what they bring to the table, literally and figuratively. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you for sharing the show. I can't wait to see you, and happy running.